Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about, well, we're actually going to have a, an episode that's directed at families and people who love someone who is a heavy substance user. Um, and we're going to, we're going to talk about how to best approach that with some, you know, the, the substance use problem. We, along with our colleague, Stephen Slate, wrote the Freedom, Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap and the Freedom Model for the Family. The Freedom Model offers a completely different approach to addiction, and we offer a real solution. There are two ways to learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes. The first is at our beautiful St. Jude Retreat, um, or you can also learn it through our at-home Freedom Model private instruction program, which we do via Zoom. You can get information about these options at thefreedommodel.org, leaveaddictionbehind.com, and soberforever.net. Um, I spent the better part of my career working with families, and that was where I first wrote a family book, and I think it was 2011, and then The Freedom Model for the Family I wrote, I finished in 2018. Um, and the thing about the treatment industry is it gives families the exact wrong advice, right? It, it basically blames families for the substance users' problems. Uh, you know, they're enablers, they're called a codependent. You know, if they would just kick this person out and do that tough love thing, then this person would stop, right? Um, and it, you know, and so they, so a lot of families, because they're afraid for their loved one, they spend their time trying to control them and micromanage their lives. And for the substance user, it becomes one of their number one reasons why they dive deeper into heavy substance use. Not the enabling, not the codependency, none of that, but the idea that they they are not allowed to make their own decisions for themselves. Yeah, so this idea that you can manipulate a person in some fashion to stop is, is a really, really, really um, destructive thing for both the family and the substance yes. user. So let me, let me explain what I'm talking about. What Michelle just said is there's an implication in our culture, in the recovery world, with families, that the idea of enabling. Now, what's cooked into enabling is the idea that the, the uh, other party, the, the family, the loved one, the friend, has some sort of ability to coerce a person to stop. Right. That they have some sort of skill that's going to make it so that the individual stops wanting substance use. And and they do this by saying things like, if you kick him out, he'll stop. Or, uh, you're part of the sickness, Mrs. Smith, because you're enabling your son to keep using, which implies that if you would cut off the money and supplies, they would stop. That there's some sort of connection between uh, the, the parent and their own neuroses quote-unquote, um, and that person continuing to use. And so they, they build this false narrative because here's reality, and this is the nuance that you need to understand. The parent has no control. None. Not, not a little control, but exactly what Michelle just said. They have no control. They only have control over their own autonomous experience, meaning their own experience, the person's experience, theirs. 
not not the experience of another person. Now, if you're in a marriage, you know you can't control your wife or your husband, right? You can try, and a lot of people do. Yeah, and it, and it fails. It right. just fails. It usually ends marriages. Right. But what saves marriages is communication. Right. Right? If it's salvageable. Sometimes things are just so bad, and people are in two different planets, and there's nothing you're going to do to save that marriage. Um, but the point is, if there's anything that's going to solve human problems between two parties, it's communicating. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the problem is, this whole idea that you have some control over someone else, is someone not just what someone else does, but what someone else thinks and wants. Because ultimately... Mm, that's a good point, what they want, right? Right. Yeah. Ultimately, people... One of the things families need to know right from the get-go is this person is not out of control. They are absolutely doing what they want to do, and they are they they have tremendous will to do what they want to do. They are using substances because they believe there are benefits in doing that, and one of the benefits may just be to basically flip you the middle finger. So that's a good point that you make. So if the person is out of control, if that were true, it's not. But if that were true, then then there would be some... It would make sense. It would make sense that you would have some control because that person is out of control. They don't know what they're doing. So then a third party might have to step in and, and be rational because that other person, the substance user, is not being rational. Right. And is powerless and is a victim and is diseased. And, and much like a cancer victim, we have to walk in and there must be some intervention in the case of cancer, there'd be medical inter intervention, such as a third party being chemotherapy, right? Doctors, right. nurses. Actual medicine. Actual. To treat an actual biological condition or disease. Yep. But since no biological condition or disease exists with addiction, doesn't. Nope. Uh, it's, it's, it's a habit and it's a preference for intoxication. Uh, there, that means that the person is in control, therefore they're not diseased. They're not broken. They're not out of control ever, ever, ever. So therefore, they're doing what they want to do, which brings me right back to the point that Michelle just made, and that is, can another human being stop you from wanting what you want? Right, exactly. I, I'm sure there's, there's, there's got to be at least some parents listening here who, you know, parents of adult children, and, and I always had this, I, I knew it, like, if you if your daughter brings home a boy you don't approve of, you know, a lot of people are like, I can't see that boy. Well, what you just did was you just made him a lot more attractive to her. And she probably would have figured out that he wasn't all that great if left to her own devices. Yeah. Right? But you just made that boy more attractive. I, I, I married my husband, partly in part, I think, because my father didn't approve. You know, and now I'm still with him. Um, but but there is you you increase when you deny somebody something that they think they want, you just increase the value. And, you know, I, I use this example with parents, all, like when I would do my um, my parent uh, workshops, and I would say, so you go to the doctor, and the doctor says to you, um, you know, yeah, your cholesterol is really high. You've got you've got high blood pressure. You can't eat cheeseburgers anymore. So you leave the doctor's office, and what's the first thing you do? All right, you go go to Burger King. You go get your cheeseburger. <laughs> You're like, I can never have a cheeseburger again. They just became, and maybe you don't even love them, but all of a sudden, 
they became that much more attractive to you. So if you say to someone, you're not allowed to do that anymore. And even if that someone is 15 years old, you know, kids become pretty autonomous by like 10, 12 years old. They can make their own meals. They can make their own decisions for that pretty much by the time they start walking almost. Um, so, so as they become 15, 16 and they're trying to be independent, one of the worst things you can do is deny them things that they think are important to them, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know that that for years my parents would tell me, Mark, you're going to have to go to AA at some point. You're, you know, you're right. if, if you drink again, if you if that's something that's important to you, um, you know, you're 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 going to end up in AA. And I, the whole time I was thinking, no way. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. never going there. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna power drink like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and prove you wrong. And uh, God, I so many things like that. I became a total nonconformist. Every time somebody said something, I I'd, I'd, I'd have to test it. Even to the point to where my dad would look at me and say, "You create fights out of thin air." Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, you have to fight. Why do you have to fight all the time? Yeah, yeah, and every time he asked it, I wanted to fight more. And some of that was my nature. I think I, I grew up in a difficult environment, but, but boy, if you told me I couldn't do something, I, I, would, I would have to prove you wrong. I would have to. And I, I think that's human nature, you know? But let's get back to the control thing. So a, a parent uh, believes in enabling or... Um, denial or these different concepts that you're taught in treatment centers and the recovery society we now live in and and here's the problem if the parent has some sort of control with enabling um, if they have some control with uh, stopping the person from using through tough love that means they're partly at fault right which they're not right so it implies connection to fault because if you as a as a third party can solve an issue in another person. Well, that means you can create an issue too, doesn't it? Yep. Um, so the flip side of that blade, it's a double-ended blade. And and boy, if you really believe that you can manipulate your son or daughter or friend into quitting, uh, that means that you could have partaken in them using too and you're partly at fault. Now what I wanna say is neither are true. You have no control in whether they're gonna stop and you have no control in making them uh, get high and drunk. They may use that against you. I right. Mean, they may, they may use it as a reason. Yeah, they may. Like the relationship or the problems that they had growing up or things like that. They may say, and, and we deal with this on the guest end. They'll yep. say, you know, I get high because my parents are so overburdening and, that you know, I hate them and I, all these things. And, and I say, no, that's not why. No. That's not why. You get high because you like it. Yeah, and you think that it helps you with these things. Yeah, that it somehow gains you an upper hand in the relationship. Right. Right, exactly. So, so now let's go to what if, okay, what if you're a parent and you've got a teenager and the teenager seems out of control? And, and this is where the treatment industry gets their hooks in because parents are so vulnerable at that point when, and it is very scary when you see your, your son or daughter and they're, they were using dangerous substances, opiates benzodiazepines, maybe they're drinking heavily, and and you don't know what to do. And you've got, you know, school counselors telling you one thing, and um, maybe the therapist you sign this person up for is telling you something else, and then maybe you, you have an AA buddy that's like, oh, I'll take her to a meeting. You know what I mean? So what what do you do? 
<laughs> those are, the, boy, you just hammered out 20 different problems. <laughs> um, well, the first thing I think you do is you ask your son or daughter if they think they have a problem. Yeah, you ask the question. You, you be, get curious. Yeah. You know, there, if there's one thing, look at Mark and I, both, between, the, between us we raised six children. And, um, and, our, and our kids did their exploratory time with substances. And, um, but one of the things that they knew from the get-go was that substances have no power, that there's no such thing as addiction, and, and to qualify for some of the people that get pissed at me when I say that, there's no such thing as addiction in the realm we see it today, which is... A compelled behavior. A compelled behavior. You're out of control. Nobody's ever out of control. Um, and substances can't, they can't do for you the things that the media and the culture tells you they can. That's right. So subsequently, we have six children in their 20s, um, and none of them have a problem. I, I think that... that and, and just about every one of them drank at some point. They did, or, or and they went through their little drugs. experimental phases, yeah, sure. Yeah. And all of my kids still drink socially. Mine um, too. Yeah, and so here, and they do so health, in a healthy way, yep. right? In a non-problematic way. Um, so what did I do as a parent? First, I developed my own healthy drinking norm. So, yes, so I could model that behavior. Yeah, and I showed them that. I showed them that even when I got a buzz, I was totally responsible, still had my wits about me. Uh, I, I explained to them that the human mind doesn't go anywhere, right. even when buzzed up. Um, I showed them that I didn't drive, I didn't do anything, I called in work, I always had you know, people taking care of my shifts or whatever, um, and I was completely with it socially, um, even if I had six drinks, right, or whatever it might be. So that intrigued my kids because they were somewhere in college and late high school, which is where the, these patterns of uh, the license to misbehavior peaking themselves. You know, that's where yep. it's, it's getting. That's hit. where kids get in the most trouble. Yeah, it's where the the whole idea that alcohol changes your entire being is is propagated in our in our uh, culture. So I had very open discussions with them about the fact that when they're drunk or high. You know, because some of them experimented with drugs as well. I said, when when those things are happening, I want you still to make rational decisions. I still want you to think about how are you thinking? Is the mind still there? And my kids would report back to me and say, yeah, we had some beers. You know, we did this. I smoked some pot and I did this. And and then they'd say, you know, I was always with it. I yep. say, exactly, exactly. And and in the end, they've never, you know, there's there was no charges against them. There was no. They they certainly had their issues at points, but but nothing dramatic because they knew. Yeah. They knew that the drug wasn't in control. Yeah, and, and here's the thing that you all should know is, you know, all four of us, the parents involved, all at one point in time qualified as being alcoholic, um, as having a problem with substances. And, and so this whole heredity issue, which they learned in school, we had to undo. Yeah. Yeah, so there were many lessons that we taught all our kids about. We had talks about the fact that it's not genetic, right. that there is no disease, that even when intoxicated, your mind is still completely whole and thinking and has the capacity for being totally rational, and that uh, feelings of hopelessness, although they didn't experience them, but if they did, they're just feelings and that they can change that mindset yep. and, and realize that they're still in complete control of themselves. Um, 
it's, it's only when the ideas that our culture pushes, this powerlessness narrative or disease, disorder, labeling, put you in a box that your, your behavior is not within your control. It's only those things that, that make a person feel hopeless. And I'll yeah. tell you, when you feel hopeless, it's a real feeling. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. But the thing about it is, if, if you have a teenager and you're concerned about the teenager's behavior, um, the first thing you do is not panic. And the second thing you do is you get a free copy of the Freedom Model so you know actually what the truth is because we've spent 32 years writing the damn thing and there's no reason for you to be ignorant on the facts as a parent. Right. You need to know exactly what the problem is and what it is not. And it is absolutely normal in human development for people to go through a phase where they're experimenting with altered states of consciousness that's been going on since forever. Um, and, and so there's no reason to panic. So let's say that you have a situation. I know some of you out there are going, yeah, easy for you to say your son hasn't OD'd, right. uh, you know, five Good times point. and, and, you know, I, five rehabs in, we've spent a hundred thousand dollars on the best rehabs in the country. Supposedly he gets out the day after and he ODs, he's in the hospital, he ODs and he gets out and he goes right to the drug dealer and he's drug dealing drugs in the house. I, I mean, Look, at, uh, we are talking about that situation too, but your situation may be, have a different need. And the different need would be, first of all, we would have to undo everything that, it, that expensive set of rehabs taught him or exactly. her. We would have to undo all the recovery nonsense. Now, you don't know it's nonsense, so that may seem offensive, but please understand if you read our book, you would be like, oh my God, I've been sold a bill of goods that is completely the opposite of a solution. Literally, literally, not figuratively, but literally it's the opposite of what is going to help your son or daughter. Treatment teaches a negative feedback loop that is guaranteed to slowly kill that person. Yes. And that's, I know that's harsh language, but it's the truth. It's why your son and daughter is doing what they're doing. So, or part of the reason, the biggest part is that they still like getting high. But if you couple the like of getting high with the idea that I'm a broken, diseased, disordered person. Yep. Forget it. The game's over. That person has no avenue out. And then recovery looks even worse because they built the drug up so dramatically that it makes it look like recovery is this miserable, deprived state of being in hell with no water and a bucket of water sitting above you that you can never attain. And that, let me tell you, is a terrible model. Oh, it's awful. It's a terrible model. So so you have to we have to undo that nonsense and I'm gonna call it nonsense because it's terrible um, and it's wrong and uh, and that would be the first step first get rid of the myth that is keeping them trapped and then work on the communication and on a basis that's based in fact if you're gonna do nothing else I would like you know I would like you to see Stevens Stevens TED talk um, oh, such so a if good you one. go to YouTube and you look up our relationship with addiction TED talk Steven Slate um, and he talks about this very thing about the the playground effect, which is in our we, which he put in our book in chapter nine. Um, and he talks about exactly what the playground effect did to him. And he did not look at himself as a hopeless addict until after rehab. Yeah, and that's he went from snorting heroin and occasionally, to, occasionally uh, to within a, a rehab 
to shooting it up because they told him it was inevitable and he became the junkie stereotype. He did stealing to support his habit. He had never done any of that before he went to rehab. He was taught how to be an addict. That's yep. what they teach you. Um, I know this is hard to hear for parents that have been in the system, but I also know that if you're listening to this podcast and you've gotten this far in this one, you're intrigued by the fact that, oh my gosh, this makes more sense because treatment hasn't been making sense, has it? All this idea that you're at fault and all the guilt and shaming that, that the treatment industry and therapists will pile on a parent, all of it's designed around, hey parent, you better get them in more control. You better make them do things. And you can't. That's the thing. You can't. You can't yeah. even manipulate or coerce or quietly coerce. Tough love hasn't worked. You know. Now, I'm going to say something about this whole tough love thing. Here's the deal with that. Let's say that you've communicated. You have the facts. You've read the Freedom Mile. You understand. You've read other addiction books that aren't disease-based, like Addiction is a Choice by Jeffrey Shaler, maybe some Stanton Peel work. You understand the facts. You've been presenting that to your family and uh, to the substance user and still they're getting high and, and you feel like there's nothing you can do and you feel like well maybe it's time to kick them out of the house maybe it's time i just don't want to participate in this that's okay that's okay but make sure you're doing it because you know it makes you feel better that you're not connecting it to whether they stop or not you're just saying to yourself the only thing i can control is me and right, right now, I've done everything I can in this other direction, in the loving direction. So I need to beg out. They got to get out of the house. I need some peace in my home. And that's about you. That's not right. about you controlling them. Right. That is the key. The key to all of this is, so this is my, my, my first word of advice is don't panic. And my second one is communicate, which we talked about. Really communicate openly and honestly about your concerns without being overly dramatic. There's, you know, people survive many, many years. Most people survive heavy substance use. Yes, it is a serious problem. And yes, some people do die, especially now with uh, tainted drug supply, right? In, in the, in, in the um, black market world. So communicate, but without all the drama. Yeah. With kindness with understanding, with a curiosity. What do you like about it? Tell me about your substance use. Open that door to talking about maybe some of your experiences because I think a lot of parents have their own experiences with this stuff. And, you know, it's pretty good to be open. Yeah, I used to, you know, I like this and I like this. And once you open that door, you're going to take the taboo away from it, right, the substance use, and, and this person's going to know, okay, Okay, if I'm struggling, then this is somebody I can talk to. Yeah, yeah, that's so huge. That's so huge. But again, maybe you've done that already. I'm going maybe to, you have. I'm going to the far extreme here. There may be one in ten people that's listening right now is going to have this experience where they've done all these things, and yet their son, daughter, friend is still is still getting high at high levels. You may have to beg out. You may you have may to have walk to. away. But he, but Mark is right. That's about you. That's right. If your goal of kicking somebody out is to manipulate them to change, it's not going to work. That's right. It, it, will, it will never work. It, it's going to cause resentment. And if they do stop based on that, it was just by happenstance that they wanted to stop anyway. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it was in spite of all of this nonsense. And yes, there are people that stop at all different levels of this. There are people that are forced to go to rehab and then they get out and they miraculously have wonderful lives. Um, and love living in recovery and they find their, I mean, that's a very tiny percentage. It's like 5%. 
Um, but people are going to say, those people made it. Okay, but they made it in spite of what they learned, not because of it. They simply decided, I'm happier with this lifestyle than I was with that one. That's right. You know, so, so if you're a parent and you don't know what to do, no, here's a couple things. Know that, number one, if you get the police involved, I understand making that choice, but know that once that happens, everything's out of your hands. It is now up to the court system. And so if you wanted to have a say in how this thing goes, you no longer have a say. But some people resort to that, right? Because they're afraid for this person's life. That's right. So, so know that we don't judge anything, um, but know that anything you do should be for you. Yeah, the last thing I want to say is the, uh, <laughs> we have a book called The Freedom Model for the Family that Michelle wrote on top of the Freedom Model uh, book itself, the, the large book that we give to the substance user, I would advise reading both. But if you're only going to read one, read Freedom Model for the Family by Michelle Dunbar. And, uh, and th that has everything we're talking about in it. Well, actually, and I also have a free ebook that you can get, um, that you can download right on our website um, under books and then for ebooks. And it's specifically about approaching somebody with a problem. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Maybe we'll put a link underneath the, the podcast. Oh, yeah. Thing. Yep. So that, that you can get it. Um, because it, it's not, you know, it feels like a very hopeless situation when you have someone and you're so afraid for them. And, and um, but there's a couple different things. I mean, if somebody comes to you because they're struggling, that's beautiful. You know, you can be like, oh, wow, I want you to talk to these people at the Freedom Model. This is fantastic. Um, but what I'm, what we're talking about here is somebody that doesn't think that they have a problem that is doing exactly what they want to do. So here's the thing. If somebody says to you, I can take it or leave it. They're not lying. They're not in denial. That's they're right. telling the absolute truth. What they're telling you is I can take it or leave it. I don't want to leave it now, right now. But, I, this is what I wanted. But do. in the next five minutes, maybe I will, if you give me a good reason to do so if you if you right. present a case where i'm not going to be in recovery going to meetings the rest of my life who the hell really wants that yeah, nobody no, wants nobody especially wants teenagers that. or young adults oh, it's terrible i mean me and michelle went through that and it was horrible mm -hmm. um so yeah there's there's a better way for people to get past this problem so read freedom model for the family and uh and, and check out our free ebook we'll make sure that the link will be below yeah yeah all right, I think I think we've covered it for today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or another habitual behavior, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 1-888-424-2626 or go to our websites, thefreedommodel.org, leaveaddictionbehind.com, and soberforever.net. Thefreedommodel.org is our hub. It has a bunch of free resources and information, including videos, these podcasts, our ebooks, and you can get digital editions of the Freedom Model for Addictions and the Freedom Model for the Family for free uh, by entering coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout. Um, if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. You can follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We have three Facebook groups there, private, that we started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and perpetual recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. 
And there are some great leaving AA and deprogramming from AA groups on Facebook as well. Um, from everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time.